Welcome to the Hope Frontier Podcast. Hope Frontier is a multimedia platform that dives deep into the Bible, helping you connect God's Word to your life. Check us out on our YouTube channel and HopeFrontier.com. To support our channel, please subscribe and go to our giving page on HopeFrontier.com. Step into your new frontier with hope. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Home Frontier. So excited for you to be with you today. And we are gonna hop into 1 Samuel 2 and 3, and we're gonna spend just a little time just talking about really what was Samuel's upbringing like, the environment he was in, and really what does God do with people he put in place that are not right. <laughs> um, so right now we're gonna take a quick look here before we actually jump into that, at Hannah's prayer. We're not going to go through the whole prayer, which is an amazing prayer. She, even though she's from the rural town and is really a nobody of nobodies, she really understands the heart of God like almost no one before her that we have seen up to this point in the Bible. She combines many different concepts from the patriarch stories. She combines um, different expressions of God from Exodus and Leviticus and just really carries through and interweaves together all these different titles for God as well as his character. So she really grasped the concept well. And one thing that's important is in verse 3 where it says, Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you've done he will judge your actions. And this is probably most likely just going right at um, her husband's also wife, <laughs> uh, Penina, right? I don't know what that would be. Um, not sister-in-law. I don't really know what you'd call that. <laughs> but um, it is really, once again, this theme that keeps getting played up to this point through the whole Bible is consistently God will lift up the humble and he's going to bring down the proud. And this is exactly what's happening with Samuel and Eli. It's what happened in almost every story beforehand. And this is something that is so important for us that we have to keep that in the front of our mind no matter what we do in our lives with God. Because God is the one who provides for us. He is the one that gives us our giftings and our abilities. Even if we work hard at something and do it, guess what? Our natural latent ability has come from God in the first place. So it's not our own effort. It's God's grifting and grace to us. So that one theme, I just wanted to highlight that because we keep seeing it again and again. And that is the real source for us to have an amazing relationship with Jesus is to continue to recognize that he is Lord of all and that he has given us everything within us. And that is the reason why we're successful. Now we're going to bump into uh, verse 12. And I'm going to read a little bit here so we can get a sense of Eli's wicked sons. It says it's in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. 
while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would even come before the animal's fat had been burned in the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, Take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, No, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. And we'll stop there before we get into Samuel. So from this just excerpt, you know, to us, it may not really seem like they're really that bad guys. The worst thing they're doing is just taking some meat and eating it, right? <laughs> but we don't really understand the severity of the situation and what it looks like to God and what it looks like to everyone around them. So before that we get into that part, let's just go back to verse 12 really quick because um, the original translation or the literal translation should not be the word scoundrels. It says the sons of Eli, the sons of Belial. And Belial is another word for like the prince of demons um, or like Baal, for example, that word Baal would just get translated throughout history as Belial and, and other things like that. Um, so what they're really saying here is an amazing double entendre, okay? And just to understand the severity of what they're doing and how Lord views them so horribly like they're doing real evil because they are. And so what they're described here as are the sons of Eli and the sons of the prince of demons. So not only does this smash the sons, but also it is going at Eli as well. And a lot of people don't understand that Eli really wasn't a good priest. You see many commentaries and many people think he was just soft on his kids. He just, he just didn't... Um, discipline him enough, but he was really a good guy. And we're going to go later in the stories and see why that's not actually true. But for now, just keep that in your mind and just, you know, keep that back of your head because it's going to come up later. And so what these two sons were doing is they were basically doing the reverse of a tithe. As you know, a tithe is we give our first 10% back to the Lord and we honor him. So what Eli's sons were doing was they were taking the best part of everyone's sacrifice for themselves instead of giving it to God. They were giving God what was left over while they kept for themselves what was theirs. So they are breaking so many commandments, and it is utter disrespect to God what these sons were doing. They are spitting in the face of God. Um, so we see that they don't honor God. They're stealing from God. 
and they're stopping others from worshiping God with all their heart. So they are doing a lot of major sins just straight off the bat right there. Also, they were consuming fat from sacrificial animals, and this was explicitly prohibited in the Torah in Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7. So here, these sons, not only were they stealing from God and stealing from other people when they were giving to God, but also they were intentionally going against what God had specifically stated, and they would have known these laws. Even when the people giving the sacrifices said, hey, don't do this, please, they even threatened those, take it by force. And no one could do anything about it because these were the priests who were at Shiloh and that was where the tent of meeting was, where the Ark of the Covenant was. So people had to go there. So these sons intentionally abused their power, abused their position, abused their influence as a way to propel themselves forward, get selfishly what they want, and just ignore God. And so to God, that was unforgivable because he does pronounce um, later, we're going to see God does pronounce justice upon them. So um, it's, a, it's a really big deal here, what they're doing. So let's take a look a little bit here. Um, so we can see here right after that negative part, it does talk about the blessings that God is going to give to Samuel's family. So um, in verse 21, the Lord blessed Hannah and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. So God saw the amazing sacrifice this woman Hannah gave is a stark contrast to Phineas and Hophni, Eli's sons. Because when Hannah is the one who gives from her heart to the Lord, the Lord blesses her and accepts her sacrifice, which was to give Samuel to be raised in the eyes of the Lord. And we can see the Hophni and Phineas took what they wanted first, and then the Lord punished them for that. And this is just a great encouragement for us because it is really difficult for us to continue to put God first in our life. Just like Hophni and Phineas, they want what was theirs first, then give to God what is left. But that is not honoring to God. And that shows the Lord that we don't trust him. That shows God that we don't think that he's in control and that we think that our way is better than God's way which is really not, not, you know, which is, has no faith in life. So let's take a look here at verse 22. And this is where we're going to start seeing what's going on with Eli. So now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God 
can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. And in stark contrast, verse 26, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. So Eli knew specifically what was going on. And part of this does come into the play where, yes, Eli did not do a good job raising his children to fear the Lord. They didn't. But if we look deeper into what's happening, we're going to see two things. The first thing is that why did Eli continue to let his sons remain in their positions? He never took them away from their positions. He never removed them from office. He did nothing to stop them from sinning and did nothing to stop them from ruining other people's relationship with God. He allowed it to happen. And since he was put into the position where he had authority, it was his God-given responsibility to ensure that the priests were doing what was God-honoring, and he did not do that. He didn't do it at all. And obviously, what this means is that he was violating the first commandment where he honored his sons more than he honored the Lord. And this just led to his sons having free reign at Shiloh where they could distort and bend what was right. And this is a really common trap and it's really hard for us because when we do love somebody, especially our children, it is difficult to make to put God first because we can't see God, right? We experience God, we can experience his grace and his love and his blessing. But when we're hand-raising our own children or let's say our spouse or somebody else, someone's really close to us, it is so easy to put that person in place of God in our life. And so this goes back to our conversation a few episodes ago where, yes, when God does give us blessings, and one blessing could be family, we have to make sure that we are still honoring God first and honoring God right. Because God is going to hold us to that. And that is why that God, and we're going to see with Samuel here, we have to have tough conversations with people sometimes to make sure that we can go before God and our, 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 our hearts are clean. We did what we could do best. And we can honor God with that heart. Whatever the person decides in the end is their choice. But at least I know that I did my very best. And God honors that very best part. Because God does not punish us for the sins of somebody else. And we're going to see that's the same thing with Eli uh, in chapter 3. That God doesn't punish Eli for the sins of his children. He punishes Eli for honoring them more than honoring himself and failing at his duty of being the priest. Um, so let's just let's keep going at the end of chapter 2. In verse 28, the prophet comes to Eli 
and says here, I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he served me. And I assigned the sacrificial offerings to you priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Right? He's talking to Eli. This is Eli again, okay? This is what I said. Eli was not a good priest. He was not just, whoops, my kids had their own problem. He himself was viewed in the eyes of God as scorning the sacrifices and offerings. And here's the big line. Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. So Eli is not off the hook. You can't just let people do whatever they want. You can't indulge people's evil desires and just say, well, what? I didn't do anything wrong. I told them. No, he had a responsibility and didn't do it. And this is the responsibility that God's given to every one of us. When we are given something in the eyes of God, we are to do what is right and to do and to do well. We can't just abandon our duty. We can't just fail without even attempting to get God in the picture. If he really, if he was doing his best, praying and getting God in the picture, and his sons still were refusing, he could have removed them, and it would have been fine. He would not have had this problem. The sons would still suffer, but not Eli. But he didn't do it, and he and he ate the offerings that the sons stole, right? Because Eli became fat from those offerings. So Eli was partaking even in the food. You can't just ignore that, right? For example, if, if your brother, let's see if, if you have a brother, if your brother steals from somebody and gives you that money, you can't just say, oh, well, you know, what can I do? No, you cannot keep it. You know it's stolen. It is dishonoring to the Lord. But that's exactly what Eli's doing here. And God just, just smashes him for it because that is not right. That's exactly the first commandment. He does not honor the Lord. He honors his son. Okay? But this brings up the next question that we're going to face. As we look in verse 32 here, it says, You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not caught off from serving at my altar will survive but only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove to you what I have said will come, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. And we'll stop there. And this brings up a question here where... Can God essentially end his promises or end his covenants with people? And obviously, God can. Because a covenant and an agreement and a promise, those are all two ways. It's not a one-way street. God expects and demands 
our participation with what he has in mind. God does not have to unconditionally follow through with what he said because everything in our life with God is actually conditional. And this is where there is a little contention because everybody hears the phrase, God has unconditional love for us. Okay, to some degree that's true, right? God will love us no matter what we have done in our life. No matter the sins we've done, no matter the, the things we've done in rebellion against God, God does love us. But there is a condition for salvation. There is a condition for a relationship with God. Those are separate things. And the condition is that I give God my loyalty. Okay? So if I am not loving God, if I'm not loyal to God, if I continue to sin, then by no means does God have to follow through with what he has promised us. And it's very clear in verse 30. He said, um, I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me, and I'll despise those who think lightly of me. So this is really a big warning sign for us, and we've seen it happen throughout the Bible to this point, where God promises us things. But that promise does not mean we have to do nothing. It is our responsibility to do our best. And it is conditional. Right? God won't forcibly save you. God won't force his promise into your life if we do not show God any sort of honor at all. And, you know, that should encourage you because only as long as you keep a healthy relationship with Jesus, then God is with you and he's never going to abandon you. It doesn't mean that our, we're always perfect. It doesn't mean that we got everything figured out. What it means is at the end of the day, when I go to bed, where is my living loyalty? Is my loyalty at the end of the day to money, to fame, to myself, or is it to God? Because that is the question that we keep having to ask ourselves. And yet we may need to check ourselves sometimes because it happens when our minds start to drift and we start to think of other things that look enticing instead of God. Like, ooh, if I could only have X amount of money, if I, if I just keep that tithe to myself, if I keep my gifts and my offerings to myself, if I think more of myself than other people start getting selfish, myself first more than anybody else in the world that's when we start running into problems and that's when you know god doesn't want us to go down that slippery slope god wants us just to be in that healthy relationship with him where we are life-giving to those around us and where we can reflect the good nature of god to all around us so really really powerful here in, in chapter two sets up the whole story here with Samuel and Saul and David and so forth and so on. So when we go into chapter 3, this is the big transition when the Lord is going to work through Samuel 
because Samuel is faithful rather than the faithless, Eli. And I got to and I got to say to Samuel, <laughs> what a way to start your service to God. Samuel is sleeping, Eli's sleeping and and we probably heard the story. The Lord, I, I described it last time too, right? The Lord calls Samuel multiple times, speaks to him because Eli isn't spiritually in tune, right? And so the, the Lord gives Samuel this proclamation of Eli's death and his whole family's death and demise. And then I got you got to give it to Eli because Eli says here, um, uh, he says in verse Chapter 3, verse 16. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son, what did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So I just feel bad for Samuel here. I'm laughing because it's so intense. Imagine the person who kind of basically raised you to honor God and to do what's right. And it kind of like your mentor. And your word from God is to tell him that his whole family forever is going to be judged and that his sons are glass, a blaspheming God and that your mentor has done a horrible job, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. That was his first assignment from God. So I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> that's an intense start. And I got to admit, I, I think Eli probably took it like a champ. I, I think he knew his days were coming. I mean, you, you really, you, you can't, you, you can't play ignorant forever. Just imagine this is going to happen. So that's what happens with Samuel. Got to give him a break. <laughs> and here, we're just going to talk, just finish briefly here. Um, just talking about uh, ver- verse 14 in chapter 3. Um, actually, let's, let's, let's read 13, 14. So this is for Eli. I have warned Eli that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So remember, Eli is not getting punished for his son's sins. He's getting punished because he violated the first commandment. We talked about that. Verse 14. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. And that's pretty key. Because a lot of people just think in their heads... You know, I, I, growing up, I thought this was the thing. I thought, hey, your sacrifices and your offerings will absolve you of your sins. That was the whole point of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, right? That's what I thought. But that is actually not true. This is why the sacrifice of Jesus is so amazing and such a blessing. So let's talk about why really quickly. Now, in the old system, in the sacrificial system here, deliberate sins, deliberate rebellion against God could not be atoned with sacrifice. There was nothing you could do to absolve yourself of that sin if you blaspheme against God, if you partake in these major deliberate sins. There's zero hope, okay, <laughs> unless God by chance um, does it himself. Um, a good example here is like it was in Numbers 15, verse 30. Um, 
you know, God really was showing us the serious nature of, uh, of, of rebellion. Let's just read that here really quickly. So this is Numbers 15, verse 30. But those who will brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native born Israelites or foreigners, so it doesn't matter, have blasphemed the Lord and they must be cut off from the community. Since they have treated the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his commands, they must be completely cut off and suffer the punishment for their guilt. So, once you make this grave error, this blaspheme, this, let's say, idolatry or, or whatever it was, you're cut off. You can never be back into the community of God. And most of the times, you were judged with death. Okay? So, it was a really big thing. So, Eli's sons, they could not absolve themselves of these sins because God decided this too much. It's gone. What you did was wrong. And so this really helps show us that the grace and nature of the new system we live in with Jesus is far superior to this old system, this old way of the law. The law could only do so much. Up to a certain point, you cannot be forgiven of deliberate rebellious. But with Jesus, no matter what our sin was, no matter the, the, the gravity of the matter, we can receive that full absolution from God, which was astounding. And this is why Paul really hammers through in the book of Romans how amazing this new covenant with Jesus is, how the blood of Jesus is so much greater than anything else in the world, where God doesn't have to wipe out an entire family because of their, their actions. So we do see that God did follow through with what he had proclaimed. So um, Eli's grandson was born, we'll take a look at that later, it was Ichabod, and then his son was Abiathar, and he worked with uh, Adonijah, in an attempt to usurp David's throne. As you can see, right, it runs in the family, okay? They don't do a good job. And then Solomon removed him from office and replaced him with Zadok in 1 Kings 2, where they were priests until the temple was destroyed. So God is serious, and he is honoring those who honor him. And that is the key takeaway for us. We don't have to fear God because he's with us, but we do have to honor him. So next, we're just going to dive into the beginning of Saul, talk about Saul a bit, because he's an interesting character. And then we're going to take a look and see how that works out with David in the future. So thanks for listening today. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next time on the Hope Frontier Podcast.